This is the Seven Hills Church Podcast, where you'll hear incredible teaching from our very own Pastor Marcus Meekham. If you enjoy what you hear, you can subscribe anywhere you get your podcast to get brand new episodes waiting for you every week. You can also download our free smartphone app to see even more exclusive content and to get connected with the life of Seven Hills. Let's get right to the message, and thanks again for being with us. What's up, Seven Hills? We had a powerful time of prayer if you were a part of Unified Sensi, whether you went down there for the prayer walk or you watched online or just as a church, you've been praying for us. Thank you so much. Uh, it was a historic moment for our city, for our community. Um, over 50 churches gathered together to pray and you were a big part of that. You made that happen. And I just wanna say thank you because I believe prayers never die. And I believe that the prayers that we prayed this weekend over the city of Cincinnati, I believe that they're continuing to go to work on the behalf of people that are hurting and we're believing for God to bring healing to our city and our nation. And so thank you for that. And I also want to remind you that you were a big part of making that happen. The truth is, if it was not for Seven Hills, that day would have never occurred. And it's because of your trust in the leadership here to release us during this interesting time and our world to meet the needs of COVID. We've all changed our job descriptions and we're actively at work doing whatever we can to continue to reach people for Christ and do what we can do to find needs and meet them, find hurts and heal them. And so whether it's been COVID or, or the racial reconciliation efforts that you've released us into, that you've trusted us with, I just wanna say thank you that besides the expense and the bill that, that for the most part you floated, a bunch of churches were involved, but you've just carried so much of this. The whole staff here and volunteers worked tirelessly around the clock to pull that off. And Seven Hills, I just wanna say thank you. Of course, many churches did their part, but I wanna say thank you. There's no way that this day would have happened without each and every one of you. And with that in mind, guess what? We are just right around the corner. This next weekend, we're going to begin to resume services for Dream Team only. So all of our Dream Team, look for communication. They're gonna give you all the details. I'm not going to hash that out now as far as how you can find out what services will look like for you. We wanna begin for a couple weeks to get together with our volunteers to pray, to worship. So all the online stuff is gonna to continue to happen. Next week, we actually have a special online message for all of you that, that aren't going to be here while the dream team is here, but we're getting ready for you. We're praying for you. We're making sure that we're getting the church together in a safe way so we can be ready for your return. So, so be thinking about that. But just a couple weeks with Dream Team and then the beginning of August, our goal is to resume in-person gatherings. Again, we've not been closed. We've been working like never before, but we're going to begin to take those steps back to normal. You don't have to come back. We understand that many of you are still concerned and you should be. You should take all the precautions necessary. We will on our side. But we do want you to know that we're going to begin to take those steps. And if at any point we feel uncomfortable, we have no problem pulling back on that. So again, just pray for us. Thank you for your confidence and trust over uh, the last several months. Um, just, it's just been such a special thing to me. I, I, I've never been more confident in this church and what God's doing here than I am right now. I've never been more proud to be your pastor than I am right now. 
And uh, thank you. Thank you. It's just such a joy to serve you. And it's such a joy uh, to do the work of the kingdom together. And our best days are in front of us. This hour is going to define us in a way that for years to come, we'll look back to as this is one of those moments that God really did prepare us for the great things ahead. So thank you. And we're getting ready. I cannot wait to see your face very, very soon. Luke chapter nine, Luke chapter nine and verse 51. The Bible says, as the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead and went to the Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading to Jerusalem and the disciples, James and John saw this and they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? I just want to take a second and say, I like James and John. Have you ever been so annoyed, so bothered, so aggravated, so frustrated with somebody that in your mind you are like, Jesus, can we just call down fire from heaven on them? Can we just wipe them out? Can we just get rid of them? Well, you're in good company because James and John had those moments. And so if they did and they were considered to be great apostles. I guess it's okay for us to have that feeling every now and then. But Jesus turned to his disciples and he rebuked them. I want to give you three thoughts on overcoming rejection, overcoming rejection, because the normal response is let's call down fire. Let's wipe them out. Let's have nothing to do with them. Let's let, let's work towards their destruction because they rejected us because they hurt us. What can we do to work against them and work against their future? And I love Jesus. I love that he rebuked this mindset. Now, the scripture here says that Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to die for the sins of the world. This is a critical moment. This is a critical hour for Christ. And so they decide to rest on the way in a Samaritan village. And as they enter that village, the Bible says that they immediately reject James and John. They refuse to allow them to come into the city. And this rejection so angers them that they want to call down fire. But Jesus rebukes them and says, that's not how we handle rejection. Now, the Samaritans had a lot of history with the Jews. They're a prominent group of people in the Bible, and they're primarily prominent because they were considered to be the enemies of the Jewish people. They were hated. This was a racial issue at its max. This was deeply rooted in hundreds of years of offense and mistreatment goes all the way back to Nehemiah chapter six, when Nehemiah was rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem and the city had been tore down and broken down and it was in ruin and rubble. And Nehemiah begins to rebuild the walls and that small group of people that worked feverishly and uh, with all of their heart for months as they're working they were being worked against. People were attacking them, lying about them, intimidating them, mocking them. And that group of people that were trying to keep the walls in Jerusalem from being built were the first place we read about the Samaritans. And so the Samaritans and the Jewish people from that moment on had 
had issues. The, the issues continued to build through time and over the generations until Jesus shows up on the planet. And so they had nothing to do with one another. And James and John are at this place where in their mind, they had been taught their whole life that if somebody rejects you, especially if they're a Samaritan, then let's call down fire on them. But Jesus for three and a half years had walked with his disciples. He had taught them how he wanted them to, to handle the issues that were really plaguing the world that they lived in. He had taught them the spirit that they were to handle things with. He had taught them the mindset that they were to approach difficulty with and enemies with. And so we know that Jesus had previous dealings with the Samaritans. And we would know that Jesus had instructed his disciples on how to handle things and how Jesus had instructed them was not to call down fire. We, for instance, have the very first place that Jesus would have had an interaction with the Samaritan. The Bible says Jesus is tired and weary from a journey. And so he sits down by a well and a woman approaches the well and Jesus asks her if she would get him a drink. And the woman says, you are a Jew and Jews have no association with Samaritans. And so there we begin to see that, that all throughout the mindset of people, if there was a Jew and a Samaritan and they were walking down the street, they walked to the other side of the street. They had no association. They had no conversation. They had no dealings with one another. And Jesus looks at the woman and he says, if you knew the gift of God that was in your midst, you wouldn't bring that up. If you knew the very one was here that could heal the, the, the decades and the generations of hurt and wounds that you're carrying and that your father's carried. If you knew that, you wouldn't be bringing up to me that, that the issues that you're bringing up. And he begins to talk to her about her life. And he begins to talk to her about that she's had five husbands and she's with number six that's not her own. And so he even begins to bring up the, the sin in her life. And because of those things, because she was a Samaritan, because of the history that she is coming at him with, and because of the sin in her life, the religious mindset would be that you shouldn't even have a conversation with this person. Jesus shouldn't have a conversation with a woman, number one. Number two, a Samaritan woman. Number three, a Samaritan woman that's had five husbands and she's with number six that's not her own. But this teaches us the first thing that Jesus would have taught his disciples and he teaches us about handling rejection. How do we overcome it? Number one, we have to be willing to have a conversation. We have to be willing, first of all, to know that God in no way rejects us because of our history, because of where we come from, because the sin in our life. A lot of people think they can't go to God because of their sin, because of the stuff in, the, in their minds. They're like, you have no idea where I come from and the stuff in my life. And they, uh, they think that because of that, that God somehow doesn't want to hear from them. But what Jesus teaches us in this moment is it doesn't matter where you come from, what your history is, how religious you think that you are or are not, what the level of sin, the amount of sin is in your life. Jesus loves to have a conversation with us, even in a place where we would think we're the furthest thing from someone 
he should have a conversation with. And Jesus begins a conversation with her about the kind of water, the living water that he can give her that she'll never thirst again. Jesus begins to walk her through so many different areas of her life. And the Bible says because of this conversation, because he was willing to spend some time with someone different than him, raised on the other side of the tracks, someone that their religious upbringing was different, even opposed many times to his, because he was willing to have that conversation with this woman, we know that her life was forever changed. I love the fact that God has given us an ability to handle the things that we say, the way that we talk, the way we communicate, and the way that we have conversations. James chapter three gives us the instruction, if you want things to go well in your life, you've gotta consider your mouth, you've gotta consider your conversations. And James gives us four mental images or pictures of the mouth. He says, first of all, the mouth is like a bridle in a horse, this powerful animal that that small instrument can bring direction to. And the first image James gives us of our conversation is it can bring direction in your life. It can bring direction in your family. It can bring direction in your relationships. Your conversation directs you no matter how significant and powerful life is, the small bridle, your mouth, is actually the thing that can send you in a right direction, a godly direction, a hope-filled direction, or your mouth, your conversation can lead you into a destructive place in your life. Psalms 141 verse 3 says, set a guard over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. A bridle in the horse brings direction. The second mental image James gives us is of a rudder. A rudder on a ship is beneath the water of the, the boat in the ship. And so a storm can be coming. Waves can be coming at that ship. And the way it's positioned is by that rudder. It's without the rudder, the storm throws the ship wherever it wishes. The waves overcome. The ship is going to end up overturned by the storm. Without the rudder, the, 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 there's no position to handle the wind and the waves. But that small rudder is what positions the ship when things come at it. And it works the same way in our life. Our mouth, our conversation positions us during the storms. It positions us during the conflict. For Jesus, she came at him and immediately there was rejection. Immediately she said, I should have no association with you. You're Jewish. But Jesus used his mouth as a rudder. And he began to talk to her about her life. And he began to talk to her about her hurt. And he began to talk to her about the gift of God and the grace of God and the love of God. And because he was willing to use his mouth in that conversation, he changed the position of the relationship with that woman and ended up changing her life. The third mental picture that James gives us, gives us is a spark that can set a forest on fire, just a spark. And he says, listen, so important you understand your words initiate things. You may think it's just a spark. You may think it's just something small, but it can set a whole forest on fire. 
And so it gives us the picture of the things we say are not insignificant. They are very powerful and their consequences are far reaching. And then the final thing that James says is your tongue is like deadly poison. We get worried about rattlesnakes. We get worried about all these poisonous and venomous reptiles and spiders and different things. And we should really be worried about the poison that is in our conversations. More people are destroyed because they don't understand that your mouth, your conversations are a bridle. They bring direction. They're the rudder that position you. They're the spark that initiates things. And they're also our conversation can be so deadly if we don't watch our words. I love Psalms 103. It says, Lord, satisfy my mouth with good things. That's what we need to be asking God to do is that he would satisfy our mouth with good things. And it goes on to say that our youth would be renewed like the eagle. It begins with what we talk about. If we want our life renewed and refreshed and, and we want to really have that vigor and excitement in life, we just have to begin to say, God, make sure that my conversations are honoring to you. I love this verse. May the words of my lips and meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O God. Let the things I say please you. Let the conversations I have please you and honor you. The first way Jesus handled rejection was he handled it through conversation. The second place we see Jesus dealing with the Samaritan was in Luke chapter 10. And a person comes to Jesus and he says, hey, listen, I need to know how I can get eternal life. And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And he begins to walk a guy through the conversation because the guy says, well, who, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus gives this parable and he says, well, there was a priest that walks by a man who had been robbed and beaten and left for dead in a ditch. And the priest walks by and sees the man laying there left for dead. And he walks to the other side of the road. And then a Levite also considered the religious person of that day walks by and sees the same man left for dead there. He does the same thing. He just moves on with his life. He's too busy. He don't have time for that issue. And then Jesus brings it up. He says, but a good Samaritan walked by. Again, in a Jewish mind, Samaritans were, were horrific, horrible people. There's no good in a Samaritan. There's nothing godly in a Samaritan. But what does Jesus say? He says the Samaritan went down and he poured the oil and the wine on the wounds of that man, picked him up, took him to a place where he could get help and where he could be replenished and strengthened. And Jesus said to that man, which one do you think your neighbor is? He knew that that man had always believed that you had to be Jewish that you had to be a Levite, a priest to be someone that loved God and would be considered his neighbor. You had to be like him to be someone that he would say, you're my neighbor. And so what did Jesus do? He took someone that this man thought was the opposite of anyone that he would ever be neighborly to. And he says, the good Samaritan went down and he helped that man. Which of the three do you think your neighbor is? And the man said, 
the one who showed mercy. The second thing Jesus taught us in dealing with rejection is you have to be someone that shows compassion. Conversation isn't enough. You have to be a person of compassion. Compassion is not, I'm well-intentioned. Compassion takes action. This man, Jesus said, was a Samaritan, but he was willing to take action. Can I just take just a minute and encourage you? You never know when you're gonna end up in a ditch. You never know when you're going to be the one that's been beaten by life, beaten by circumstance, beaten by by some type of rejection in life, hurt and wounded. You have no idea when the people you thought would be there are not going to be there. The the religious, the, the ones that you thought would show up and pour the oil and the wine on your wound. Many times you don't know who the person is going to be that shows compassion. And so Jesus made it clear, hey, don't count anybody out. It don't matter who they are, where they're from, or what their background is. Jesus taught us that if you're gonna overcome rejection in life, you first of all have to be someone that is willing to give compassion, and you have to be willing to be someone that receives compassion no matter what someone's background is. And then number three, and I'm done. Jesus, again, only had these three dealings with Samaritans. Number one, he had a conversation with the woman at the well. Number two, he, he taught us about the compassion that the Samaritan had for the man left for dead in a ditch. And then number three, we find in Luke chapter 17, Jesus, again, always found his way to Samaria. He was always finding his way to the place that he wasn't supposed to go and to the people he wasn't supposed to deal with. He was always taking the gospel, always taking God's love, always taking God's hope to the very place that religious people said, don't go, don't help them, don't reach out to them. They're the outcasts. They're the ones you avoid. And Jesus constantly made sure whatever journey he was on would make its way through Samaria. And this time he ran into 10 lepers. These 10 lepers cry out to him for healing, cry out to him for a miracle. And Jesus tells every one of them, I want you to go show yourself to the priest. So the 10 lepers, the Bible says they were healed on the way, which teaches us that healing is a process. It's not something that happens overnight. The second thing that Jesus said was not just that they were healed on the way, but it says he asked them to show themselves to the priest. I want you to show yourself to someone that's not sick with the same thing. I want you to go to someone that doesn't have the issues you have, don't have the weaknesses you have, don't have the problems you have. I want you to go show yourself to someone that will tell you the truth about your blind spots. You see, we think that because we're around people that are like us, we know everything we need to know about ourselves. Or we think because we can see ourselves, we know all we need to know about ourselves. It's like looking in a mirror. I can look in a mirror and I can walk out of my bathroom and in my mind, I'm together. But the mirror does not show me my whole body. There's still parts of me I cannot see. And so I need someone else to tell me if my shirt's 
untucked in the back or tucked in or something's off because I'm limited in what I can see when I'm just handling things on my own. And so Jesus said, listen, you need to go find someone that will be honest with you about your blind spots. So the 10 lepers, they go, they show themselves to the priest and every one of them had the miracle. Every one of them were healed of that horrible disease of leprosy. Supernaturally, their futures were handed back to them. They now could go back to their families. They could go back to their jobs. They could go back to their lives. After being excommunicated, now their lives were not just healed physically, but restored relationally. And in life, they were positioned back to move forward again. And the Bible says that out of the 10, that one comes back and says, thank you. And the one that comes back to say, thank you, the Bible says he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked this question, where are the other nine? Is the only one that can say thank you a Samaritan? Is the only one that has gratitude a foreigner? You know what Jesus is bringing attention to? He was bringing attention to the fact that the other nine, they were your Jewish people. They were your religious people. The one that came back and had gratitude was the last one they thought would show thankfulness for the miracle. I think every now and then we have to remember that the third way Jesus handles rejection is he changes people. That God is still in the business of changing people. And every now and then, you just have to be willing to recognize sometimes people have blind spots. And sometimes people get healed on the way. And sometimes it's a process. And you have to be willing every now and then to get to the place where you recognize that Jesus can change people. No matter where they've been, no matter what they've gone through, he and he alone can change them. I love this point that Jesus looks at the man and says, your faith has made you whole, which means gratitude leads to wholeness. Ungrateful people are never whole people. You see, change occurs in my life, not just because leprosy has been healed, not just because I've been brought out of sin, not just because I've been brought, not just because I now know Jesus, not because I've had the experience of God by his supernatural grace, healing me and giving me a future and a hope, but because over time, I also have to realize that in that life that I lived before Christ, there was some baggage I picked up along the way. There were some things I picked up along the way that until I can continually come back to Jesus and say, thank you. I'm so grateful that you rescued me. I'm so grateful that you healed me. It's in those moments of gratitude, continually saying, God, I'm so grateful for what you've done. I'm so grateful for how far you've brought me. It's in those moments that wholeness comes. 
I wanted to end with this thought. That so many of us have suffered great rejection. There's, there's wounds in our life. You got to talk to somebody about it. Most importantly, you got to talk to Jesus about it. No matter what it looks like. Number two, you have to show some compassion on the person that hurts you. And sometimes you have to even give yourself a little compassion. And then number three, you've got to seek change in your heart and in your life. And one of the ways you know change is finalized and finished. One of the ways you know is that you're thankful and you're grateful, even for the rejection, even for the things you went through, even think about it. The Samaritan is telling a Jew, thank you. He's telling someone that for, for decades and generations, there's been hatred and enmity with, but yet he's grateful to the very person he had been raised and taught was his enemy. This last week, I was in a conversation with a friend of mine and we were just talking about some different things in life. And I brought up a situation to him that I thought I was just ministering to him through. I thought I was just bringing up some things in my own life. And, and as I got to the end of, of the story, he looked at me and he said, uh, I can still sense that you're not over that. And in my mind, I'm like, no, I'm over it. I'm through that. I'm done with it. It's behind me. But you know what I was doing? I was showing myself to the priest. And as he began to talk to me, I knew that I wasn't changed. Why? Because I wasn't at the place yet where I was thankful to God for the things that I had been through up to that point. And again, Jesus taught us how to deal with rejection. Our instinct is let's call down fire. Our instinct is we're done. We're finished. Let's cut them off. They're out. It's over. I'm done. I want nothing to do with them. I, I, I hope that, that life's worst finds its way to them. I love that, that Psalms where David prayed to God that he would break the teeth of his enemy. Sometimes that's how we are. Call down fire on them, break their teeth. And that's how we know we're not whole yet. But Jesus not only wants to save you, he wants you to be made whole in Jesus' mighty name. He's ascending to the right hand of the Father. He's looking down at the 500 that are gathered there. And he says to them that power will come upon you to be witnesses. And he looks down at the 500, mostly Jewish. And he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and his power will come upon you to be my witness in Jerusalem. Yeah, Jerusalem. We can't wait for the power. We can't wait for the Holy Spirit. We can't wait to go to Jerusalem. Judea. Yeah, we can't wait. God, send us to Judea. We can't wait to go to Judea. We love the people of Judea. And then Jesus says, and Samaria. Silence. Not Samaria, not those people. Not the people that rejected us, not the people that withstood the progress of our people, not Samaria. And then Jesus said, and by the way, the uttermost parts of the earth, there's really not a place I'm not going to want you to go. There's really not someone that should fall outside of the places that you'll go 
and have a conversation, show compassion, and believe that God is still in the business of changing lives, changing nations, regions, and even the world in Jesus' name. Can I pray for you? Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your great grace. I thank you that you modeled to us how to handle rejection and how not just to handle it, but how to overcome it through the power of conversation, compassion, and Father, trusting that you can change anyone. It doesn't matter what we've been through. You're still in the business of changing lives and hearts and minds and families and situations in Jesus' mighty name. Maybe you're watching right now and you've been going through rejection. Maybe even you feel like you and God aren't where you need to be. Maybe you feel like, like you and God are, are in a place where you're so far from one another. But through this message, you just have sensed. That's what we've been doing. But we've been having a conversation. And I believe that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you. And I believe you sense the compassion of God. And you know what? He can change the worst of situations. He can heal any wound. He can forgive any sin. Just right where you're at. Would you just take just a moment and just right where you're at, just put your hand on your heart. Would you say this? Would you say, Jesus, change me? Would you just receive his love? Just say, Jesus, I receive your love. Just right where you're at, say, Jesus, I receive what you did on the cross as you died and you, you bled for my sin. Just right where you're at, say, Jesus, I receive you. I receive your grace. I receive a new beginning. I receive a fresh start and a new heart in Jesus' mighty name. Just right where you're at, say, Jesus, I believe that you are Lord of all, even my situation. That's all for this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, there are just a couple next steps we'd love to highlight. First, you can subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with brand new episodes every single week. You can even share this with a friend by clicking that share button you see right there on your screen. We'd also love to hear from you. So if you have a comment, you can visit us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Seven Hills Church. Lastly, we want to say thank you to those who give generously to this ministry. You're helping us impact thousands. You can click on the link in the episode's description to give now or visit us at sevenhillschurch.tv backslash give. Thank you again for listening and we'll see you next time.